This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 98. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Coral, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Many Canadians tend to dabble in at least a bit of active investing, picking individual stocks, even if they consider themselves primarily total market index investors. As longtime listeners of the show know, I personally only do total market index investing through ETFs, but I think it's important to stay educated and hear the other perspective of how and why active investors choose to invest the way that they do. This episode is going to be a bit of a hybrid because our guest today, Braden Dennis, is an active stock investor who owns an investment research platform called Stratosphere.io. He's also the host of the Canadian Investor Podcast. And with these two companies, it appears that he's already hit financial independence at a really young age. So in addition to asking him about how one should research companies if they want to buy individual stocks, we also get into one of the ways of reaching financial independence and early retirement quickly, which is by starting your own business. As you know, I really like doing these sort of case studies of people who have hit financial independence at a young age, and obviously there's different ways of getting there. And so I thought it would be fun to explore this other path as well of how you can get there. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. All right, Braden, welcome to the show. Cornell, thanks for doing this. It's been too long since we've chatted and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great. It's been a long time coming and (laughs) finally, finally, We've got interviews, so this is great. So maybe to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background for anybody that hasn't heard of you before? Yeah, sure thing. So I am an engineer by trade turned finance nerd, making media, trying to help Canadians as much as I can in this space. And now recently, technology entrepreneur. But it's been a long road. I mean, you and I have been doing podcasting for a long time now. And for me, I did it to selfishly hyperscale my knowledge, talk to authors, meet people that I didn't know before just as a student. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, things just have been working. Right. And so I always say to people when I first started doing this, no one was paying attention for three to five years, like no one. And now here we are now and things are good, man. Things are really good. Awesome. And you invest definitely differently than I do. So what would you say is your investing style and what made you pick that over total market index investing, which is more of so what I do? Sure. Yeah. And what you do makes a lot of sense. Let's get out of the way. Pure index investing is the greatest return on time that the regular person, the regular Canadian can do. I think you and I chatted years ago about how I had a theory that someone switching from not investing at all or from expensive mutual fund fees to just once a year managing and rebalancing a passive index portfolio or perhaps just doing nothing at all with an all equity portfolio is the greatest ROI on time in the history of the world. Like think about how much money you will save in fees by going from that expensive management to what you do. Mm-hmm. 
And so let's get that out of the way. Most people are best off with a set it and forget it indexed approach. It's a beautiful thing. It's never been easier. It's never been more affordable. And so I'm all in on that. Now, over time, I have gone from being fully indexed myself to owning businesses. I cringe when I hear stock picker. Like that term just is so cringy to me. And sure, it is what someone who invests in individual securities does. At the same time, I'm not picking quote unquote stocks. I'm not trading stocks. I'm investing in businesses and holding them for a long period of time. I'm not a trader. I very rarely sell stocks. I'm very resistant to making moves and honestly, just quite lethargic with my portfolio. Now, in terms of individual securities, I don't think I'm some like super great investor. However, I am literally parsing through company-specific key performance indicators for hundreds of public companies every quarter with my data platform. And I have that going for me, which is nice. But the main thing is I am willing to look longer term in the market and endure the volatility that comes with owning individual securities. This is how I've been able to be successful by owning businesses, holding them for a long time, letting them compound versus just own the index, which is a wonderful strategy as well. But I'm not in and out of stuff. And people that are in and out of stuff trying to beat the market, it is a game that is almost impossible to win and one that I don't ever want to try to attempt to do because it's just so hard. You've seen the stats, professional money managers, traders trying to beat the market. It is a loser's game. It really is. Now, when I speak to passive, a passive versus an active investor, one of the main things that they seem to think differently about is the efficient market hypothesis. Can you explain what that is for anybody not familiar? And what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think that the market is fairly efficient, if not quite efficient in the long term, almost terrible or horribly efficient in the short term. The market is typically only looking out, you know, six to maybe 18 months out. There's no real answer to it. It's just what I think. Of course, this is nothing set in stone with the market, but it is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine in the long term. Over time, the intrinsic value of companies go up, from my opinion, from free cash flow per share. Companies' ability to compound free cash flow per share, on a per share basis. And so in the short term, you have all kinds of factors weighing in there. There's sector rotations. There's the market getting too excited about the right thing at the wrong time. There is interest rate movements. There's wars. There's all of these things that can affect the performance of equities. And when there's a leak in the bathtub, no matter how great your business is, they all go down with the water going you know, out the leak. And so that is something you just have to accept as a passive investor and as an investor in individual equities. Stocks are volatile and that is completely normal. And in the short term, it is so random. But in the long term, it moves with economic growth, progress, and companies' ability to increase free cash flow per share over time. And so like if I look at what people do when they're 
going back to using the, the cringy stock picking term, a lot of people are just in and out of stuff. They say they're a long-term investor until the tide comes, you know, the, until the tide goes out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're not so long-term anymore. Now, for me, I'm really looking at six things. There are six things that I'm really, really keen on when owning great businesses. I want to see that the business is growing, it's top line and free cash flow. I want to see that the business has a recognizable and durable moat. Because if this business just won't be around in 10 years, I don't want to own it for the next 10 minutes. I want it underpinned by secular growth trends. So like, think of the growth in cloud, the growth in cybersecurity. Those are just random examples. Those are growing total addressable markets compared to like a tobacco, which is not. The company has pricing power. I get asked all the time, it was the podcast, Canadian stocks and US stocks, and people want to know about oil and gas. However, oil and gas companies do not have pricing power. They are selling a commoditized product and service. It's just not something I want to own. The business demonstrates high returns on capital and the management's aligned with performance and execution. Like Those six things is a pretty good framework for just buying and holding great assets. And when you're a passive investor, that's what you're doing. You're not buying some magic basket ticker that just on a long term goes up over time. You're buying a collection of assets that the index you're tracking owns. And so the S&P 500, the most common index, when you buy an S&P 500 index fund, you're not buying some imaginary ticker. You are buying the aggregate of 500 large American corporations. And so we can't lose sight of that, no matter what type of investor we are. That's the reality. Now, for index investor, like you mentioned, S&P 500, for example, or even if you just look at total market, for someone maybe just getting started to investing, they hear, okay, we just invest for the long term, buy and hold, and it's going to go keep going up long term with a lot of sort of volatility in between. What would you tell them as the reason why, if you're an index investor, the market tends to keep going up? Because someone could say, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, it's been going up historically over time, but how do I know it's going to keep happening? How do I know it's going to keep growing long-term? What would you say to that person that's feeling some anxiety around that? Sure. Yeah, good question. So let's look at the S&P 500. Okay, The top five holdings, depending on the day, because since it's market cap weighted, you got Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and then there's a collection, like maybe it's Berkshire Hathaway one day, maybe it's Tesla the other day. And then there's tons of companies in the next 50 that are worth like $100 billion plus. You know, the Johnson & Johnson, the Procter & Gamble's of the world. Those are the constituents that are inside and the banks. Like Those are all the constituents that would be inside the S&P 500. The reason that goes up is because the earnings power of those companies over time has historically gone up. Now, there are constituents that in the index that go in and out. The last, not this latest one, but the previous annual general meeting for Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett threw up a slide from the 80s that was the top 20 American corporations by market cap. Not a single one is in the top 20 by market cap today. And so that's capitalism, right? Businesses go in and out of through the eras, you know, whether some of them innovate, some of them die, some of them go flat for a long time. But in aggregate, the earnings power of those companies in that index has increased dramatically over time. And that is where the true 
intrinsic value of the basket of companies you're holding comes from. And so that has increased over time and generated wonderful returns at about 10% per year on average. In the long view, that's what the index has produced. And that's what investors can expect to get in the long term. In the short term, it looks a lot different. What did the index do last year? Like 30%? This year, the NASDAQ is down 30%. This is normal. This is completely normal. Volatility is a feature, not a bug. And now bonds have really taken a hit lately as well, making many investors wonder whether they should just instead do something like GICs or do they stay the course and keep holding those bonds or do they put more into equities, even though equities have been falling as well lately? You know, or do you use a high interest savings account or some other investment vehicles? What are your thoughts on bonds and fixed income? And what do you personally do in your own investment portfolio when it comes to that? Yeah, good question. I mean, I forget what the year is, but sometime in the 80s, I think 2022 is the first time where every asset class across the board is down. You haven't found safety anywhere other than maybe commodities and utilities. And that's tough, right? That will absolutely erase the confidence of investors, both professional investors and retail investors alike. Because by the way, people like to think that you know the CFAs that sit in the ivory tower are just so immune to this kind of stuff. No, they're looking at it all day. It pains them just as much or more than you when you log into your brokerage account, believe me. Now, back to your question, in terms of fixed income, I mean, you mentioned some other options outside of bonds. You know, you have your GICs, you have your HISAs, and like high interest savings accounts can really vary depending on which institution you're going to. And you can find some pretty decent ones out there. But what did we get on the Canadian inflation print last week? Or what was it like 8%? And so where do you find safety? Where do you find real returns post-inflation? Where do you get that real returns? And In the past decade, it certainly has not been bonds. If you look at bonds, you know, return or yields on like a 10 year treasury, they've been terrible. They've been absolutely terrible. And it really comes down to your situation. Now, are they going to be less volatile than equities? Of course. Of course they are. And so it depends on what your time horizon is. I think if you said you're like five years away from retirement, would your answer be different? I'll get to that in a second. I'm 27 this month. I have absolutely zero plan to own bonds. So let's get that out of the way. This doesn't mean bonds are bad. It doesn't mean fixed income is bad. It doesn't mean GICs are bad. They can serve a purpose in any portfolio. Me personally, if I was looking for income or safety in this environment at the current yields that fixed income represents and where inflation is today, I just don't see much appetite for it. There are equities which are you know, an asset class that is heavily down right now, that provide durability and yield with share price upside. You, know, you look at the dividend aristocrat type businesses, high quality businesses, lots of share price upside. They grow the dividend. Maybe they pay a 2% yield along the way. Or you look at something like year-to-date utilities have held true in their investment thesis. They have provided safety for investors utility year-to-date is flat as a sector. While the NASDAQ's down 30%, that's pretty good, right? And if you consider total return, you've actually made money post-dividends. And now I don't own it, but I think Fortis is a perfect example, one that trades both here on the Toronto Stock Exchange and in the US. 
as a positive share price return year to date and pays nearly a 4% divvy. Like, I think there are ways to find safety and income without going to fixed income. But again, this is looking at my horizon versus someone else's. And that's just really not something I can comment on by putting a blanket statement on it, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair. If someone's 65, they're about to retire, something like a bond ladder or like GIC ladder sounds a lot more appealing than someone like yourself or you're working, you've got your businesses, like why would you build a ladder? It doesn't yes. make any sense, right? So yeah, exactly. for, yeah, for sure. No blanket statements. But yeah, it's, I find it's good to get some different opinions on that, right? Because we are in such interesting time. <laughs> and it's totally. interesting, right? Especially because bonds are seen as this sort of traditionally, and if you look, you know, read blog posts about it and research it, right? They're this safe haven. It's kind of the reputation. But then, right. you know, depending on what ETF you're looking at, there's some that are like, oh, this is a bond ETF. So one thinks, oh, safe. And then it's like, oh, but they just had like 10% plus decline. That doesn't sound safe to me for a safe haven. So it's a very, very interesting environment for sure. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. No one has a business like yours with all its strengths and challenges. This small business month, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. You need Indeed. With Indeed, you don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it with just Indeed. You can also find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. One thing that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place easy because it does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. And according to Talent Nest 2019, Indeed delivers eight times more hires in Canada than all other job sites combined. So start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed dot com slash build wealth. The offer is good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at indeed.com slash build wealth. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And now back to the show. Now, as someone that is very active in the investing and personal finance field, I imagine you have things pretty planned out and optimized when it comes to the most efficient way to get to your financial independence number. What are you personally doing in your investment portfolio, your personal finances, and life in general, just to get to that financial independence number as quickly and efficiently as possible? Yeah, it's a good question. In terms of like optimizing my finances, I think it's fairly good, but there are surely things or tools that I could use to do things better. I think that's kind of just a never-ending goal that you have to keep working on, whether even the people who are really super wealthy, they get a $30 parking ticket and they're so upset. Like, <laughs> I don't think you'll ever be able to shake that out of me. That's just kind of who I am. Now, I'm pretty good with, like, with spending, but really when I look at personal finance and what I've done with my own situation is really get aggressive on saving like in my early 20s so I could take on more career risk. I used to work for the government. I used to work in renewable power and nuclear powers. Probably the best job ever if you want a job. And for me, it's just not what I wanted. And so I was going super aggressive to shore up my personal balance sheet, my investment portfolio to be able to take a risk and maybe not pay myself for a year as I you know, venture off into startup world. And so that's the way I've always thought about it. Now, in terms of financial independence number, like that FI number, 
it's probably going to sound ridiculous. I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are in the fire community type camp, but I plan on making hundreds of millions of dollars and not like, you know, hit my 2.8 number and then sail off into the sunset. I'm 26. I have two companies that are worth a combined, you know, high seven figure digit value, not quite eight. And using a fairly conservative sales EBITDA number to get to that number. But my cash flow tells a completely different story, right? It is absolutely nothing to write home about. I often live like I'm broke because everything is getting reinvested. And that's just where I am right now today. We have this conversation in 10 years. Maybe I've chilled out quite a bit and I'm sailing off on the sunset, but we'll have to keep in touch for that. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like if I understand correctly, you're approach. I like having these conversations because there's so many different ways to get to FI. And then once you're there, what do you do, right? There's so many different options. And so it's really fun to see how others have done it, right? And use that kind of like a case study because one path may be a good fit for one person, one path may be a fit for another, but at least it kind of gives us the menu options. And then we can decide which one we would want to take maybe or learn from, right? Based on our preferences and scenario and that kind of a thing. So it sounds like in your case, it was about kind of like building it big enough of a runway financially so that you can quit your stable, secure government That's job right. and go off and do the entrepreneur path, sort of you know high risk, high reward, but you've got the runway that you've saving so that if things didn't go according to plan, you'd still be okay. But it seems like things have obviously worked out really well for you. And so now you've got kind of these other options. Is that a good kind of like synopsis of your of the route that- you chose to take? I think that's a perfect synopsis said better than I just hearing that. I'm like, yeah, that's basically my route to doing that because I don't plan on, well, how about this? I did plan on at one point doing the, you know, regular contributions, max out the RSP, max out the TFSA, do everything you can. And you will hit a really good number down the line in 20, 30 years. Like, I would have been there no problem with the amount of money I was putting away. But it was more so just like for my own like itch that I wanted to scratch, which is like entrepreneurial, then I just have to take it a slightly different path. Yeah, like fulfillment, self-actualization. Exactly. Trying to actually get to your potential instead of just kind of settling. Yeah, that makes total sense. So what keeps you going now? I mean, it sounds like technically with how well your companies have done, you could just sell them and just sail off into the sunset, retire, you know, do the sort of, you know, we see those book covers, right? Like, oh, retire early. And it's like the beach (laughs) cup with the umbrella in it or whatever. I mean, it sounds like that's, you could do that right now if you wanted to. So like, unless your expenses are crazy high, in which case you're like, no, I need to work (laughs) because I need to pay for that private jet or whatever. But assuming your spending is actually normal. (laughs) Yes, it's quite uh, normal. Yeah. Which is the sense I get speaking with you is that, you know, you're not out there buying for coats every day or whatever. No. What keeps you going since it sounds like technically you could just retire now and never work again? I mean, I guess technically paper-wise could, but that would require exits for the two corporations. And one of them, that would be kind of impossible because I'm so attached to the business. And the other one, like for Stratosphere.io, the tech company, we're just still so early that we wouldn't get the right multiple for an exit today that we'd get in three, four years down the line, when everything's been fully optimized and like, you know, the the team scaled out, which we're doing right now. But I just know that like most of the compounding of that business will come years five, six, and seven. 
and we're on year just one, like one and a half right now. So that's my simple answer to the question. And also, like, I know that I would just maybe take a few months off, go live in Costa Rica for a couple months with my girlfriend. But after that, it would be okay, what's my next company? What's my next project? I love building technology projects. I love building things that people use. I think that's the engineer in me. And it really does ultimately make me happy, even though sometimes it's ridiculous and I'm working till you know 11 p.m. every single night, Monday to Friday, and sometimes weekends. But for me, that's what I'm looking to accomplish, at least for now. And that'll change. Like That will for million percent change. Maybe in the future, I'm like, screw this. I'm chilling on the beach, man. I love this. And by the way, Cornell, I love chilling on the beach. So maybe I'll like that later in life too. Gotcha. Yeah. So you've definitely taken the, obviously the entrepreneurial route. Can you tell us maybe sort of the origin story, how that all came to be? And then use that as a platform as well to tell us about you know the two companies you have. And but yeah, I'm really curious to hear how you started them as well, right? Because I'm sure we've got some people who are also in similar boat where they have that itch to maybe build their own company, something like that. And there's probably a lot that they can learn from you. And I always argue like, hey, even if you want to do the whole early retirement thing, you know, having sort of like a company on the side that you actually enjoy working on is, is so healthy for you, not just financially, but just mentally in terms of yes. you know, creative energy and problem solving. And it's a company that's actually helping people do something meaningful. I mean, it scratches, it checks so many of those boxes in terms of self-fulfillment, self-actualization, yeah. being a positive contributor to society instead of just living just a purely hedonistic lifestyle because you have the financial resources to do so. Please take us through. I'm sure there's lots of lessons we can all learn from there. Sure. I'll get to that story, but I want to double click on what you're talking about, which is like, I was moonlighting building stratosphere.io and the podcast well before I went full-time on it. Well before, multiple years. And were they making lots of money? No, of course not. Did it make me learn a lot and start the ball moving? Because if you don't start, you'll never get there. Like The path that you actually take is going to be so different than what you think it is now. But that is a required step in figuring out what the path forward is, because you have to navigate through those questions you have. And you know the things, I don't say what keeps me up at night, but the questions that I have when I'm in the shower and I'm supposed to be washing my hair and I'm thinking about, like those are the, the types of things that you think about. Now, so yeah, let me just double click on that because you can work on your company and still have your job. Like don't have like some business idea and then like, screw it. I'm walking in tomorrow. I quit. Like, you know, like don't, that's a silly, silly idea. I got stratosphere to almost hundred K in revenue before I quit my job. And so you can do that on the side if you're willing to put in some evenings and weeknights. But I think that's a much better and less stressful route to go than, you know, showing up to work on Monday and saying, screw it. I'm working on my new startup. So now that that's out of the way, for the podcast, like I have a podcast that I host called The Canadian Investor with Simon Belanger. He's awesome. He's a great partner to do the, the, the show with and also a great business partner. And so we did it for a while with like hardly anyone listening. And then all of a sudden, you know, things start working. And then when they start working, they start really working. And so you kind of just keep going from there. And then 
during that process, I found a problem, which is I can't find 10 years of financial data. I can't find reliable financial data on company-specific metrics. Let's start building this database. And whether it's as simple as just a couple spreadsheets and seeing if people pay for it, that's literally how it started. Now it's a very complex, high-tech web application that I think is quite nice and beautiful. At first, if you're building like a MVP, like a sorry, a minimum viable product, I'll try to take the jargon now. The minimum viable product, you want it to be scrappy and solve just one problem. If people are willing to pay for it, I don't mean like, oh, Braden, I think that's a great, nice idea, or your mom tells you it's an awesome idea. I mean someone actually gets their credit card out and pays for it. Even if it's just a spreadsheet, if it solves their problem, you can figure else everything else out later. And so that's the way I think about building companies, especially in the early stages to get that validation. Because the worst thing that can ever happen is you work on something for two years and no one cares about it and you never asked anyone to pay for it. And then you realize no one's going to pay for it. That's like a nightmare to me. You see those heartbreaking stories on like, if you ever watch Dragon's Den or Shark Tank. Exactly. Yeah. But it's so sad, right? Where someone's like, I spent 10 years working on this. I'm like, had to mortgage in my house. I'm in yes. debt. And it's like, how many sales you have? And it's like almost nothing, right? And it's so sad because they've just invested so much. And the proof of concept stage was never actually completed, right? That's right. Like build something super scrappy. It's not supposed to be pretty. In fact, it's actually better if it's not pretty. Because if it's not pretty, that means people are buying it because it actually solves some problem, right? I think that's the best advice that I have been given. And I think that's good. That's great. And so how long has your podcast been around for now? We started it in the fall of 2019. Okay. Yeah. And now today it's top three business podcasts in the country. So it's been quite the journey. And you and I were talking before recording. It's like, what are you doing to like make it work? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I don't really know. I'm not sure. There's just no real analytics with podcasting to know exactly where everyone's coming from. Now, with your one company stratosphere, where a lot of listeners of the show are index, you know, ETF investors. Does stratosphere do anything for those types of investors, or is it primarily for individuals who actually want to purchase individual stocks and they just need some analytical tools to help them decide which ones to do? Yeah, it is the latter because the short answer is going back to like building a product for people and it solves a problem. I don't believe there's a problem with ETF data, right? Like you can just go find the prospectus, find the management expense ratio, find the holdings, you know, find the distribution information. That's just so easy to find. And so there's no real angle for us there. But Stratosphere is very useful for individual securities if you're doing research on an individual stock in North America. And so we're really doubling down on that. There's not really a whole lot of value for us to add in the ETF space. I mean, it's just so simple for ETF investors. And that's why it's attractive, right? Like two clicks on your brokerage and you have access to hundreds, if not thousands of stocks for a few basis points. We'll call it free in terms of fees. It's a beautiful thing. And I don't really think there's any like problem for us to solve there. Makes sense. Yeah, I guess unless someone, if you go into like the active ETFs, then I wonder if there's something there. But for the index of the total market, the index investors like what I do, I hear you. We were talking about this offline before we started where 
yeah, if you want to learn more about it, you just you Google that ETF, you go to that provider's fact sheet, and you can pretty much learn exactly. everything. Yeah, you you're on right BlackRock or Vanguard's site, and you got a prospectus in five seconds. Yeah, and everything you need is right there. That's right. You're not like running models and no <laughs> expected cash flows. And <laughs> if you are, you should be investing in individual businesses. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> or if you're doing that with ETFs, it's just time to just chill out and let them get to work. Yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of questions from listeners of the show. If I know of a good organization or person that can help them optimize their finances, do their financial planning, and answer any questions that they may have. I spend a lot of time researching on who I can actually wholeheartedly recommend and use myself when it comes to financial coaching. And as you know, there is a lot of conflict of interest here in Canada where you can easily fall into the trap of going with a financial planner or financial advisor, thinking that they have your best interest at heart, but really they're just trying to persuade you to buy some expensive investment product from them so that they can earn their hefty commission. So the organization that I personally use and recommend for coaching, financial planning, and optimization is called Enriched Academy. They are as legitimate as it gets. They actually coach Canadian police officers and have actually been implemented by the government of Alberta to be in their schools teaching financial literacy. And they're already in over 400 schools and colleges. They don't sell any investment products, so they are totally unbiased, which is a key reason why I decided to take part in their coaching myself, as their advice is 100% geared towards benefiting you, as opposed to trying to earn some commission on the side. So the special page that they set up for Build Wealth Canada listeners to get a free one-on-one live assessment call is over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash enriched. That's buildwealthcanada.ca ca slash enriched. Give it a shot. It's free. There's no obligation or anything like that if you try them and don't think it's a good fit. I hope you give it a shot. And now back to the show. Now, if somebody wants to do some, and you mentioned you don't like the term you know, stock picking, right? But if someone wants to invest in individual companies, buying individual stocks, even if it's just for a small portion of the portfolio, where do you suggest they go to learn? And where did you learn when you were getting into this field? Yeah, good question. And yeah, to double click on that. It's like, start thinking like a business owner instead of like stock trader or investor. Like those terms just make me cringe a little bit because it takes away from what you're really doing and really goes into like what I think of people gambling on their brokerage account in random securities. They don't even know what they do. Like, you know, like you're buying a stock and you couldn't tell me what the company does, how they make money, what their margins are, who their competitors are, what the industry, like none of like the basic type things. Anyways, I digress. So in terms of like learning, books really help for mindset. And the reason I say books help for mindset is because there are so many books that are like, buy companies, you know, that have price to earnings ratio of under 15 or whatever, like is written in the intelligent investor. That is a recipe for underperformance. <laughs> like that is a huge recipe for underperformance in today's market because you're not going to find any really really great companies hanging out in that in that range. So I say from mindset because in that same book the whole chapters in the intros about Mr. Market and how he's a bipolar psychopath and the market goes up and down sometimes for no reason is brilliant. And so that's when I say books for mindset. Anything written by Peter Lynch is really good for beginners because he tells you like it is. He writes in an entertaining way. 
They're all accessibly available. They're all very like famous investing books. Do not read The Intelligent Investor first, at least not yet. It's great, but newbies will fall asleep. Like, (laughs) well, you won't finish it. It's just too outdated in terms of the way the writing style, and you're not going to understand the terms and concepts. So the stuff about Mr. Market is wonderful and brilliant. You're going to fall asleep. And then over time, you're going to get better. Like we built stratosphere.io as a tool for anyone to access company fundamentals and data, you know, the same that pros are using. And so kind of giving that into the hands of everyone. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Like this takes a lot of time. For me, I was a hundred percent indexing for five plus years, like 100% indexing. I think I owned like one individual stock for like the company I worked at at the time. And like, that was pretty much it. So that's important because you learn that the market's volatile with your own skin in the game pretty, pretty quick, even if you're just owning the basket of the index. Gotcha. And which investment account would you recommend Canadians use if they are going to do any stock picking? Because with TFSA, I find that's the interesting one, right? Because on the one end, if you pick the right stocks that end up growing a lot, if you know for sure it's a winner, you know, with 100% certainty, which no one knows with 100% certainty, right? But then if you did know, you'd do TFSA because then you get all the gains tax-free. So amazing, right? However, if you pick wrong, and it's not like everything you pick is going to be a winner either, then you actually end up losing the TFSA contribution, right? You don't actually get that back, right? So it's sort of this double-edged sword where like TFSA can be great as long as you're actually picking winners, but you could also destroy your contribution room if you pick the wrong ones. So do you even play that game? Do you not? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And there's a lot of nuance to each account. Each one has pros and cons, as you know. And you know, there's other stuff to think about, like withholding tax on US dividends. Like you probably want to shelter that in an RSP, for example. But generally, like I do think like truly that the TFSA in most situations is a bit of a no-brainer. There's a reason that the contribution limit is set in stone, because if it wasn't, it would just be like you know absolute wealth, <laughs> like accelerating machine. And so I do think it's a no-brainer in most situations for people to look at as their first look, like first option, you know. Like, you know, like in football, there's always the wide receiver that's the quarterback's first option. It doesn't mean he gets the ball every time, but they're the first look for sure. And I think of the TFSA in a very similar light. Gotcha. All right. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your insights. Uh, Braden. can you tell us again about where we can find you and your companies? Yeah. So I host a podcast that comes out twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays called The Canadian Investor. You tape that in, you'll find it on any of your podcast player. It's The Canadian Investor. And if you do own and research individual securities. Stratosphere.io is like a Bloomberg terminal for the price of Netflix. And in fact, 90% of the tools are completely free. So you can you can get all the company fundamentals, 10 years of financial statements completely for free at stratosphere.io. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on and, and glad we're finally chatting after all these years. Yeah. We need to shorten up the breaks between when we chat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or it's not like once every five years or exactly. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like my like voice wasn't even like I had hit puberty last time we chatted. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. All right, Brady. Thanks for coming on and for sharing your expertise with us. Thanks so much. All right, take care. Bye.
All right, a big thanks to Braden for coming on the show, and thanks to you for tuning in as well. This episode has been made possible by our sponsor, Indeed. No one has a business like yours with all its strengths and challenges. This Small Business Month, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. You need Indeed. With Indeed, you don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it with just Indeed. You can also find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. And if you hate waiting, according to Indeed data, candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three and a half times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search. One thing that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place easy because it does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. And according to TalentNest 2019, Indeed delivers eight times more hires in Canada than all other job sites combined. Start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at indeed.com slash build wealth. Offer is good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at indeed.com slash build wealth. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 